Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Bible in Order, where we are chronologically going through the entire Bible in one year. Today's reading for December 18th is 1 Timothy, all six chapters. This is a personal letter from Paul to Timothy. They had been traveling together for quite a bit, spent time together in Ephesus and lots of other places, and now, at some point, they have gone their separate ways, and Paul's writing this letter to instruct Timothy. In verse 3, he urges him to stay in Ephesus, to combat false doctrines, to instruct those who are straying from the faith. And he reminds all of us in verse 9 that the law is not made for the righteous people. It was a marker for those who are disobedient, those who are living according to the flesh, those who are lawless and rebellious. They are the ones who need to be told what to do and what not to do. But for those of us who are living a righteous life, doing our best to serve God, to listen to Him, and to obey Him, we don't need a set of rules. We are led by the Holy Spirit, and in the Spirit there is freedom. In verse 18, Paul writes, I'm giving you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies that were made about you so that you'll remember them. And based on that memory, you will fight the good fight of faith. Prophecy almost always will be a confirmation of things you've already believed on the inside. Many of you have a sense about God's calling on your life. You have things that are locked away inside that you've thought about. Maybe you've never even spoken with anybody about. And then some random person who is a believer might Say some of those things and unlock the treasures that have been stored away in your hearts. That is what prophecy is. It is useful for building others up, for encouraging people in the faith, for stirring people on towards doing the good works that God prepared in advance for them to do. A lot of people today are afraid of the idea of prophecy because we focus on theological debates and doctrinal statements about whether or not the canon of Scripture is complete. And there is a place for having those conversations, but throughout Paul's writings, he instructs us not to despise prophecy and also to use it here as a launching pad into ministry, to remember what was spoken by the Holy Spirit over your life confirming the things that were already stored up within your heart that God placed there. And as you think about the prophecies that were spoken over you, let them encourage you on towards good works in the faith. By contrast, some people have shipwrecked their faith. They've gone away from the truth. They've gone their own way. And so, Paul says, we've given them over to Satan so that they can be taught not to blaspheme. Satan has a role. It was not an accident that Satan did what he did or that he is who he is. God has ordained that all things work together for the good of those who believe him and are called according to his purpose. As evil and wicked as Satan is, he has a role to play, and it is to make us uncomfortable when we are not walking according to God's plan for our lives so that we might be taught not to blaspheme, just like these two that Paul references in verse 20. Just like we read in Ephesians, 
We do not let the sun go down on our anger. We don't give Satan a foothold because Satan has authority to create discomfort wherever there is sin or immaturity in our lives. And the discomfort that Satan creates for us is to drive us back to the arms of our forgiving Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you have something going on in your life that is less than ideal, whether it's sickness or mental anguish or anything else that is less than God's best and perfect for you, God wants to use that to either expose sin and bring about repentance or to bring about maturity. Maybe it's not because of sin, but it's some area that God wants you to level up in. There is a purpose for it. And that's why we thank God in every trial and every affliction and every tribulation. We thank Him. We embrace it. We rejoice at all times in every circumstance, knowing that all of these things work together for the good of those of us who love God and are called according to His purpose. Paul urges that prayers and petitions and intercessions with thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all of those in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. If our lives are not tranquil because of the governmental authorities that are placed over us, perhaps it's because we're not praying, or at least maybe enough of us aren't praying in the right way. Whether you agree with the political and governmental leaders that are in authority over you right now, are you praying for them? Are you praying that God's will would be done, whether they know and love God or not? It's an area that most of us could definitely grow in. In chapter 2, verse 12, Paul writes that he does not allow, quote, I do not allow a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. That word teach there really has to do with teaching the scriptures in particular. And what's translated as have authority over a man could literally be translated to use authority over a man. Now, the context is not at all in any way, shape, or form the way we do church in America 2,000 years later. During the time this letter was written to Timothy, most churches were meeting in people's homes. Perhaps there were discussions at the city gates, and we know that there were discussions taking place at the local synagogues, but the synagogues were places where the Jews were primarily meeting, and these Christian Jews were coming along and sharing a different perspective, a new way about the Messiah who had come in Jesus Christ. These were not the church meetings that we are familiar with. It was a completely and totally different context. It's also worth pointing out that Paul was saying, I do not permit this. And it wasn't a charge with the, that came with the words, thus saith the Lord. Nevertheless, the greater context that Paul uses is that Adam was created first and that Eve was the one who was primarily deceived by Satan in the Garden of Eden. And so it gives us the insight that Paul understood the creation itself in the physical sense gives us insight into how God intended the spirit realm to function. 
Ideally, it will be men leading men. But just as is the case with Deborah in Judges, when men aren't doing the job that they're supposed to do, women will take over leadership and they will be blessed by God as a result. As with anything, let's look at the fruit of someone's ministry rather than dismissing them blindly based on their gender. In chapter 3, the conversation continues about overseers and deacons. The word deacon refers to a servant. It's used both in the kingdom of heaven and in the kingdom of this world. When Jesus told parables about the servants of a king, it was the same Greek root word, and overseers also is a Greek compound word, episkopeo, epi being on or upon, and skopeo coming from the Greek root word that we get scope from, like telescope. It's to look, to look upon. An overseer is one who looks upon, who is evaluating to make sure things are going the way that they should. A deacon is a servant. The first deacons in the church were in the book of Acts, and they were in charge of disseminating food to the widows. Regardless of how leaders are serving the body of Christ, there is an expectation that they are righteous people, that they're not living in unrepentant sin, that they are able to manage their own households well, that they love their wives, that they are raising their children in a manner worthy of the gospel, that they're not given to much wine, that they're not thieves, that they're not immature, that they're not new believers. We all have an expectation of growing in maturity. In keeping with maturity, chapter 4, verse 7, have nothing to do with old wives' tales and godless myths. No, the believer should not be one who believes the way the world does, who is influenced by and succumbs to silly traditions like black cats and broken mirrors or walking under ladders. Instead, train yourselves in godliness. Training your body is good for your body, but training yourself in godliness is good in every way, both for your body and for your soul. Once again, in verse 14 of chapter 4, don't neglect the gift that is in you. It was given to you through prophecy and with the laying on of hands. There is a power that comes through the laying on of hands of mature believers awakening the gift that is awakening the gift that was placed within you by the Holy Spirit of God. And we should all be striving for that utmost calling. And as we are all seeking God's best and highest calling for our own lives, let us also encourage one another, not being quick to lay hands on people or prophesy over them, but prayerfully considering how we might encourage people to do what God is calling them to do. In chapter 6, verse 3, Paul is describing the difference between godly teachers and those who are in it for themselves. If anyone teaches false doctrines and does not agree with the sound teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ and with the teaching that promotes godliness, that is a key point, teaching in keeping with the gospel, should promote godliness. 
One who doesn't promote godliness is conceited and understands nothing but has an unhealthy interest in disputes and arguments over words. Mature believers should not be arguing over words and doctrines. It's fine to have disagreements. That's how we learn from one another. But we should do it in a loving way, seeking unity and the benefit of the other party rather than trying to prove ourselves right from these disputes and arguments over words and doctrines come envy and quarreling, slander, evil suspicions, assuming the worst about other people's intentions, and constant disagreement among people whose minds are depraved and deprived of the truth who imagine that godliness is a way to material gain. Beware of those who use the church and their format and their gifting and their platform to become materially wealthy. It should not be this way. Those who want to be rich fall into temptation. Be reminded that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and by craving money, some have wandered away from the truth, and they've pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, flee from these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith, Timothy, and us as well. Guard what has been entrusted to you, avoiding irreverent and empty speech and contradictions from what is falsely called knowledge. God bless you, my friends. Thank you for being on this journey with me. We'll see you tomorrow.